You are listening to the 12 Stone Podcast. For more information on our eight locations or service times, please visit 12stone.com. Now enjoy Pastor Kevin Myers as he delivers the fourth message in the series, Grown Up Faith. When I was a kid, I would ask my dad kind of kid questions. I grew up in India, devout Hindu family, and I remember going to temple and we would do all these uh, religious ceremonies. I went to Christian college so I could meet a Christian girl and raise a Christian family. As I got older, questions naturally get more complex. I wanted to know more about heaven and I wanted to know more about hell because I needed to know about my, my brother's eternity. In my early 20s, I became close friends with a guy who was an atheist and he had questions that I couldn't answer. And I wondered what made Christianity different. I had so many questions. I've got questions. I mean, how do I know that what I believe is even real? I'm at the point in my life where questions just aren't enough. I need answers. Welcome to Grown Up Faith, and we all have questions. And we ask questions of like, how could a loving God send people to a place like hell? I mean, those, those, are, those are just jumping into weighty questions. And isn't one way to God narrow-minded? And what does it mean to be forgiven? So we're asking some pretty honest questions in this grown-up faith series where God is, is training our minds and, and, and he's, he's connecting our hearts and he's aligning our wills to him. So we can grow up in this, this relationship of faith. So let me ask you, have you ever had someone pay your way for anything? Whether it's a cup of coffee, a meal, or anything, raise your hand. Just cross caps. Anybody, has anybody ever done that for you? By the way, um, that, that's, we were at Ted's, Montana, you know, the, the whole bison place. Man, we were, we were there for dinner a while ago, and, and we got all done with dinner with the family. It was a nice meal, nice time together. I said, hey, can you grab the check for us? And, and, and the waitress said, no need. It's already been covered. Now, aren't those wonderful moments? You're like, thank you very much. And who is it? You're looking around. You're trying to figure it out. Oh, they already left. Oh, that was so kind. Now, honestly, we, we could have paid for it. We went there, and we intended to. So we could have paid for it, but the fact that somebody else did was incredibly kind. Now, have you ever had someone pay your way when you couldn't? Maybe that's happened. You don't have to raise your hand, but I'll do it. You ever had someone pay your way when you couldn't? Like when I was in middle school, it was uh, probably a couple years, year or two after my parents' divorce, and uh, we were in a financially difficult place. Maybe some of you have heard me tell us of those stories. And I went to Walt Disney. <laughs> I saw the ocean for my first time. And that is spectacular if you can remember that. Now we're in Michigan, so to go all the way down to Florida, how would that even be possible? Except that a family that befriended our family said to me, listen, our family's gonna go down to Florida, we're gonna have a vacation, we're gonna go to Walt Disney, we're gonna go to the beach. We would love for you to experience Disney. Kevin, why don't you come with our family and all expenses are paid. Whatever you need, the whole trip, we want you to experience Disney. Dude, I experienced Disney on someone else's dime. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah? I mean, when you say yes, how many of you would say yes? I'll go, absolutely. I'm in. 
Let, let me keep asking you stuff. Have you, have you ever had someone pay your way when you could never pay them back? Huh. By the way, if we were raising hands, if you've ever been a child, you'd just raise your hand because that's what you owe mom and daddy. Okay, somebody <laughs> did that for you, but we'll, we'll move on. I want you to see this picture on the screen. This is five-year-old Vincent. You see him sitting in a hospital bed. He's smiling. He's good. But why? Why is he in the hospital bed? CNN told the story this past summer. Vincent and his family and a group of relatives were all walking in Sequoia National Park, having a great time, beautiful weather, goofing around kind of along the, of the river, and it was a raging whitewater kind of river, and he slipped on the rocks and went down into the river. Now, this is terrifying, because there's no way for him to get out of that. Everybody knew he was going to die, and immediately, 22-year-old Victor jumped in the water. By the way, Victor couldn't even swim. But he couldn't let Vincent go on his own. He had to try and rescue him. Vincent latched on to Victor and wrapped around his head, and they went under several times. The parents, of course, are running along and jumping on the edge of the water and trying to, trying to rescue their boy, and with his last breath and effort, Victor pushed him, lunged him toward his father on the side, and his father barely got his hand. And then Victor, the 22-year-old, went under the water again and never resurfaced. Two hours later, they picked up his body way down the river. When you see that picture of the five-year-old, he's there because someone jumped in the river and rescued him. They gave their life. Vincent will grow up and continue over the years to discover what it really cost for him to be here. It's quite amazing. See, because little Vincent couldn't rescue himself. And that, if you're not catching on yet, spiritually, eternally speaking, that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus jumped in the water when we could not rescue ourselves. He gave his life on the cross. He paid our way, a debt we could never pay, in order to, if you will, give us new life. We ought to be pretty excited about what Jesus did for our sake. And that's the conversation we're having today. By the way, when people say, how can a loving God send people to hell? He never would. You can go to hell if you want, but you have to crawl over Jesus to get there because God loves you so much. He sent Jesus who jumped in the river to pay the way so that we could be restored to God. That's an amazing, amazing big picture. See that, see you get, listen, you get the big picture and everything starts to make sense. Remember, we've been going through this. The Bible is one, how many? One big story. Say it with me. The Bible is what? One big story of two halves, the Old Testament and the New Testament. There are five major events in the Old Testament, five major events in the New Testament. They are a mirror image, a what church? Mirror image, one of the other. And it all turns on the person of Jesus Christ. Old Testament points to him, no New Testament builds. And where everything begins, it ends. God is very much on purpose. Recall the five major events as we're walking through it in this grown up faith series, God and righteous people in paradise. Satan and sin enter. 
the world is judged and destroyed. A one world government. And now in the midst of all that, God begins something new, a plan of redemption, an old covenant he establishes with Abraham. The promise of a great nation, a great land, and a coming great Messiah, all the prophecy, and it points to Jesus. And now Jesus has come. Let's talk about that. Because we pick that up from where we left off last week. And there are same, some things that we've learned along the way. So I'm going to remind you of where we were last week. Remember this? Were, did, were, were you here? If you weren't, you missed it. Go back online. If you were, here we go. In the Garden of Eden, God poured into us life. We kind of called this Adam and Eve. It's not a great portrait, but you get the idea. And so God gave them life in the Garden of Eden. Life was awesome. We were pure and holy in great relationship with God. We had all good. And then Satan and sin entered and tempted us. And part of the problem with that temptation is we said yes. And we said yes, it's kind of like bringing rat poison into your life. And we said that all got stirred in. And all of a sudden we're contaminated and we're clouded and, and things are no longer clear. And now we're in serious trouble. And God said, well, with all of that, of course, we become unholy. And that separates us from God. Remember that last week? We kind of came over here and God said, he put, <laughs> what did he do? He, he, he put a, he put an angel, a cherubim with a flaming sword. This was the flaming sword. You're thinking, do you still have the flash paper? No, I did that. We don't have to do that again. Some of you are already disappointed. And here we are. Now we've sinned and we're separated from God. And, 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 then, and then when we make little babies, which we said a little complicated more than this, but, but original sin transfers. And so now we live in sin. And God established with Abraham an old covenant. And in that he said, I will make you a great nation through you. I'll, I'll give you a great land and through you will come a great Messiah. So let's talk about the Messiah. Grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 1. Across the campuses, if you're on a mobile device, Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18, we're going to talk about Jesus, the Messiah. Worship Center Bibles, page 966. Either underneath your chair, you grab it on the way in. Let's go. Everybody get here. If you're online, get to a Bible, get to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. We're going to learn about the Messiah, Jesus, because now everything is pointed to him. Everything is going to turn. Verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, the who, everybody, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Not pregnant by a person, by the Holy Spirit. God's involved in this. Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from what? Who? The Holy Spirit. This is a God thing. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. In other words, he's going to jump in the river and rescue us. That's what the cross is. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. See, this is prophecy now hundreds of years before. Verse 23, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Watch this. All the rest of us are born in sin. In what? 
sin. Our parents have original sin. It comes together in our lives. We have sin. But Jesus was born a virgin. What does that mean? That's really important for you to understand. This is theologically significant because Jesus was not born of a regular, if you will, mom and dad, Adam and Eve in that sense. He was born of a virgin, which means he was without original sin. So he was holy and pure. That makes him distinct from us. In fact, he never did sin. And there was prophecy that foretold this. In fact, in the book, Grown Up Faith, which many of you are studying in your small group, reading on your own, I wrote about this. And I just gave details. I'm not going to read it all, but Jesus said he was the Messiah, things you need to know. He claimed to be the Messiah. So, so we didn't just say, oh, oh, we wonder he might. You know, I said, no, I, I am the Messiah. I'm God in human flesh. I'm fulfilling prophecy. So we go on and summarize some of those prophecies in this chapter. The Messiah would be born in Bethlehem is one of them. The Messiah would be born a virgin. The Messiah would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. The Messiah would be afflicted yet not open his mouth. The Messiah's uh, uh, garments would be uh, divided by casting lots. All these prophecies foretold. Now, that's just five of the prophecies. So I go on to, to write in this chapter. I could keep going. Scholars recognize 60 prophecies about the Messiah that Jesus, that Jesus himself fulfilled. It can mess with your mind because the probability of one person fulfilling just a fraction of that number is astronomically low. In fact, back in the 1960s, a couple of authors, astronomer and physics mathematician, they, they wrote about this and figured out the odds and included it in their book entitled Science Speaks. They determined the probability of only eight of those prophecies being fulfilled by one person, and it would be one to 10 in the 17th power. Now, we have a difficult time getting a handle on that size of large number, 100 quadrillion. I don't understand the number, who does? So here's what the authors did. They wrote that if you took 100 quadrillion silver dollars and dumped them all over the state of Texas, they would cover the entire state of Texas two feet deep. You ever gone across Texas? I did years ago with a family with a camper. That was forever. That was not vacation. It was supposed to be. Now imagine taking one of those silver dollars and, and marking it. Ready? Take one of all those and you mark it. And then you put it somewhere in the state of Texas and you stir the whole pile so that it's not on top or maybe it is. You don't know. Everybody got it so far? Tell your neighbor, I got it. Tell your neighbor, I got it. You got it? Okay. Now, blindfold a friend, drop him off in some random spot in Texas, and tell him to walk anywhere he wants for as long as he wants within that state to dig through as many silver dollars as much as he wants, and then, whenever he's ready, to choose one silver dollar without looking at it. And the odds of him getting that silver dollar are equal to the odds of one person fulfilling only eight of the prophecies. Come on blows your mind. In fact, we just go on in that chapter and describe Jesus said he was God. In fact, Jesus said he was the only way to God. John 14, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And we think, isn't that narrow-minded? But what God was doing is answering our questions. Our what? Questions. Remember, we have, as we've been talking, we have 10,000 questions, but they all boil down to how many, church? Ten, how many? Ten big, say it with me, how many? Ten big questions. 
And how you answer those 10 are your, is your worldview. It's how you answer all the 10,000 questions in life. Let's look at them again. We've been walking through these questions. Is life an accident or am I here on purpose? Why do bad things happen to good people? Can I really trust God? Why can't I make my own rules? Why can't God just accept me as I am? And then, isn't one way to God narrow-minded? And what does it mean to be forgiven? All good questions. But we're going to stop with those two. Isn't one way to God narrow-minded? Huh. Because it, it seems like it is. There has to be more than, than one way to God, isn't there? See, for many of us, we think, well, you know what? I... I we need to bring God down to our level. In fact, if you look on the screen, we'll, we'll fill in the blank for you. God sent Jesus down, if you will, to, to raise us up, to bring us up. God came down to bring us up. And Jesus paid the way to make us holy. See, our idea is often, well, you know what? We're fine. We'll just bring God over here and he'll join us. But God can't be contaminated. God can't come over here. So God sent Jesus down in order to bring us up and to move us from unholy to holy. But how are we going to clean this up? Because the standard doesn't change. We left off last week with Leviticus 11.44. God said, be holy as I am holy. How do we get from unholy to holy? Because we don't measure up. We're over here. And so God's solution in the Old Testament was the tabernacle. And we laid out that tabernacle. We reminded ourselves what God is doing. If you recall, we've said it, put it on the screen already, that there is this old covenant that God made with Abraham, and it was all pointing to Jesus. But it's a mere image of a new, a what? New covenant that God is making now with us. And it all turns on Jesus. And it was fulfilled through the layout of the tabernacle. And we walked through the tabernacle last week. It is, it is the movement from unholy, how we get from here outside, if you will, through the gate, through the slaughtering table, through the sacrificial altar, the bronze altar, the laver, and into the temp tabernacle, which eventually became the temple. This is the holy place, and this is the holy of holies. How do we get from unholy to holy? And Jesus walked this path. It was walked again and again by the priests with sacrifice here, offered up to God to cover our sin debt. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Once you understand the tabernacle, you realize that Jesus walked that very path in order to write a new covenant that once and for all, we can be forgiven of our sin. He paid our way. So we walk the tabernacle again, only explained it with Jesus who paid our way for the next nine minutes. I want you to be absorbed in what Jesus did in walking the tabernacle, the temple, to make us holy. Welcome to the tabernacle, where God desires to dwell with his people. But how can a holy God dwell with unholy people? When we have all sinned, and sin makes us unholy, sin separates us from God, sin leads to death. So how does a holy God dwell with unholy people? And yet that's the heart of God. So here we are, now in the New Testament, where the tabernacle is the same pattern for the temple. 
and you can't make any sense of the New Testament, and you can't make any sense of the life of Jesus and what he did for us apart from understanding the tabernacle, the pattern of the tabernacle, the movement from unholy to holy. And how could God restore us? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. God was making it possible for us to move from unholy to holy. And Jesus walked the path of the tabernacle, the temple. In fact, if you remember, go all the way back in the New Testament to Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter 9, it tells us in verse 22 that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. That was true then, it's true now. And then it goes on to say, and by God's will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So, to no surprise, just as in the Old Testament, I would have to come with a lamb to the front of the gate. And so, when you hear of Jesus coming to the crowd at the beginning of his ministry, and in John 1, 29, John the Baptist says, he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he spoke, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now that doesn't even make sense unless you understand the tabernacle, unless you understand the temple, that Jesus, well, Jesus was literally the Lamb of God. And Jesus had to be spotless. So Hebrews says that he was tempted in every way as we were, and yet was without sin. He was the lamb from God to take away the sin of the world, not just Israel, but all of us. And so Jesus was, if you will, he was taken into the gate. And for all practical purposes, what Jesus did for us is he served as the lamb who went to the slaughtering table. In essence, that's what the cross serves as. See, Jesus was our permanent substitutionary atoning sacrifice. Once and for all, when Jesus gave his life, it was covered. This doesn't have to be repeated. So whenever I sin, I'm covered by the permanent sacrifice of Jesus. Matthew chapter 27 describes his sacrifice. It was not only permanent, but substitutionary. In fact, Isaiah 53 wrote this in prophecy. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned our own way and the Lord has laid on him the sin of us all. See, Jesus was our substitute. He took our guilt on himself. 
He was our atoning sacrifice. He paid our sin penalty once and for all so that we would not have to. And this sacrifice we're reading about was at the slaughtering table, but very much at the bronze altar. When scripture describes him being beaten and bleeding, nailed to the cross and broken, finally giving up his life. In fact, Matthew 27, 50 reads, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Now listen to this. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split. When the centurion had seen all that had occurred in the earthquake, then he was terrified and exclaimed, surely this was the Son of God. See, at the moment of his death, something significant happened in the tabernacle, if you will, the temple. The curtain was torn. That which was unholy has now had the price paid so that we can have a pathway to holy. So it ushers in to the holy place and into the holy of holies. And so the curtain was torn. And when it says the curtain was torn from top to bottom, it means the veil, the curtain, between the holy place and the holy of holies. Now we have access to the living God. They were not consumed by fire because the death of Jesus Christ tore down the veil. Now he is with us. But scripture goes further than that. And 1 Corinthians 6 says, do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Well, what does that mean? It means there was once a place called the Holy of Holies where God resided in the Ark of the Covenant, but now you are the Holy of Holies. Now God resides in you. That's what Jesus made possible. So you've been made holy. Now you're the holy of holies, and he is in you and with you in a profound way. I mean, this should blow our minds <laughs> because now God is not merely in a place like a tabernacle or a temple. Now God is in us, and everywhere we go, he's with us. And yes, we get to, to do ministry with God, Things like represented by the table of showbread, communion. We celebrate communion and Jesus giving his life and the bread representing his body and the cup representing his blood, remembering what it costs for us to be made holy. And things like the, the lampstand that reminds us that we have the word of God, which guides us as light unto our feet and our path. We have the Holy Spirit who is now in us, reminding us that we have the name of Jesus Christ and we offer up prayers. And these prayers matter to God. We're doing life with God. <laughs> oh. See, we're no longer under the old covenant. 
This is a new covenant through Jesus. Let me read for you from Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me, and thank God he made a way. We are under a new covenant, a new day, and we have a new eternity. See, that's God's big picture for a bigger life. Come on, I don't know how you cannot get fired up about the truth. I do, I just, I... My whole life has been transformed because of who Jesus is and what he did for me. He paid my way, which I could never pay. He jumped in the river to rescue me and rescue you. I mean, that's not narrow-minded. That's open-hearted. That is supernatural hero kind of stuff. And when someone tells you, hey, here's my plan to get to heaven, and it doesn't include someone paying the price for sin, which is death, well, then that's a false religion. There's only one who could. Remember? There's only one who could. Jesus had to be holy so that his death and sacrifice would not atone for his sin because he had none. All that's left is for you and I to die for our own sin. But he did this for us. He's the only one that could. He's the only one that did because he's the only way for us to get back to God the Father, to move from unholy to holy. And he extends forgiveness. What? Forgiveness. Say it again. What is it? Forgiveness. Now, what does it mean to be forgiven? You can look on the screen, fill in the blanks. Forgiven and free from sin, shame, and death. Free from sin, which is the root of it. Our shame that comes, that horrible feeling like, I hate who I'm becoming. I hate that I'm wasting my life. I, I hate it when I, when I, when I verbally vomit over somebody. I, it's that feeling after pornography or adultery or sexual sin. It's that shame that goes with you in life. And you know you don't like who you're becoming. But you're kind of stuck in this downward spiral of sin, shame, and then death. Meaning it just keeps cycling down. Death to the best of relationships in a dead end life. And you're like, what do I do? about this and what does the world say you should do all oh, the world says celebrate it cheers be who you are this is who I naturally am well yes it is but it's but it's sin tainted it's contaminated you weren't made for this it's a horrible way to do life nobody likes the fallout of this what do you mean celebrate it I mean, God's, Jesus taught it this way. He said, if your light, that is, if your ability to see is darkness, how great is your darkness? See, he came as light to help you see what is cloudy and unclear. But the world says celebrate it. You know what else the world says? Hide it. What do they say? Hide, you know what? I can take care of that. Put it all in a better looking cup. There you go. Look at me. Don't I look awesome? I mean, we just try and pretty up the outside. Well, it's still nasty on the inside. 
I mean, Jesus was talking to the religious leaders saying, you guys are spending all your time cleaning the outside of the cup when you need to clean the inside because the inside is what's killing you. Because this is still true. And then the world says, improve it. Oh, that's when you do the good works. We did this last week, but remember, there we go. Did me a few good works. Mix it up. I'm better than I ever was. When I look good, I'm going to get you some of that. Drink up. No, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and you know what God says? Don't celebrate it. Don't hide it. Don't improve it. Confess it. Do what? Confess it. You see, what Jesus did on the cross right here is Jesus made possible for you and I to be made holy. Look at John 1 9. 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If that's not clear, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a what? New creation. Everybody say that with me across all the campuses, even online. They are a what? New creation. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him, that is Jesus, who had no sin. Remember, he's over here. To be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know what's going on right now? Jesus on the cross died to cover our sin debt. Therefore, we who have sinned can pour out our sin at the cross and Jesus covers us. He just pours in us and makes us all new because on the cross he emptied himself so that you and I might be made new so that God can pour into us and who we were created to be in God. We now become the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's how you get over here and you become holy and restored and walk with God. And that is the best thing you have ever seen in your life. That is the great news. That is the good news. Thank God he made that possible for us. And so it's by, if you will, the cross, the little cross right here, it is by the cross of Jesus Christ that we are transformed from the inside out. That's what he does for us. Doesn't that blow your mind? This isn't religion. This is Jesus jumping in the river and rescuing us. Covering our sin and making us new in him. Now, what are you going to do with that? He said in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would open the door, I'll come in. I'll forgive you. I'll restore you. Listen, I'll forgive your sin. I'll forgive your shame. You don't have to carry that shame. It's forgiven. It's cleansed. You, you will never die eternally. You'll spend eternity with heaven as your home. And he'll walk with you here and now. <laughs> well, why wouldn't you open the door? Hey, listen, why aren't we telling everybody? How can we even hold this? What, what, Jesus, I stand at the door. What's a door for? A door is designed to do one of two things, either to keep someone out or let someone in. That's all a door does. 
And you can keep Jesus out. God doesn't send people to hell. You just won't open the door. It's not narrow-minded. It's open-hearted. And you can be forgiven. What more do you want God to do? But you have to open the door. And when you open the door, he comes in and you're forgiven and you have fellowship with God and you walk with God and he transforms you from the inside out. <laughs> this is so good. When you finally get the big picture of what on earth God is doing, you get a bigger life. And you're only a prayer away. A what away? A prayer away because Jesus did all this for you. First time I ever delivered that line, you are a prayer away. It was someone who became my friend, Ernie Johnson. I bring him up because he and I got to travel a couple of days this past week together. And um, kind of a, it was a big month for him in that he got, uh, you know, inducted into the Atlanta Sports Hall of Fame in the last month and inducted in the Georgia uh, Sports Hall of Fame in the last month. And then we spent a couple of days, flew up to Indiana Wesleyan University, and, and they inducted him as a world changer, meaning someone who has a national audience but has carried it, it with, with such a faithfulness to God that God is the one getting the glory and the credit. And in the midst of thousands of students and a lot of conversation, it kept coming up. Ernie, remember that moment when, when the presidency was transitioning in our country a couple years ago or so, and, and you spoke on national television in the midst of that you 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 stepped into something like politics and you stepped into religion but but it wasn't a political thing in fact I listened to Ernie share this with several students across the campus it wasn't political it was sharing my heart because God settled something in Ernie's soul some 20 years ago if you remember seeing him do that on TNT as he hosts the NBA on TNT uh, it was just a couple of minutes, but here's about 30 seconds of it, and you'll, you'll see the courageous weight of it in the moment. Listen. I know you're not supposed to talk about politics and religion, but we're already talking about politics, and so I'm going to go the R direction, too. I never know from one election to the next who's going to be in the Oval Office, but I always know who's on the throne. And I'm on this earth because God created me, and that's who I answer to. I'm a Christian. I follow this guy named Jesus, you might have heard of him. And the greatest commandment he gave me was to love others. And scripture also tells us to pray for our leaders. And that's what I'm gonna do. Now, if you, if you heard EJ deliver that whole thing, it, it went viral in millions and millions, 15 plus million in a very short period of time and beyond, listen. But what was Ernie saying? That there was a moment in time, in fact, it was December 10th, 1997. We were sitting together over lunch and we had the conversation about, Ernie, this is what Jesus has done. He stands at your heart's door and he knocks. EJ, at some moment, it's only information until you open the door and then it's transformation. But you have to open the door, and you're a prayer away. This whole thing about, oh, Hall of Fame, Sports Hall of Fame here in Georgia, and World Changer and all that, that, none of that's a big deal when you sit and talk with them. Apart from the big deal is the big picture. 
that God transformed Ernie from the inside out. And he had his day where he said yes. He was only a prayer away and so are you. God is as close as your prayer of confession. Now listen across the campuses. They're gonna start to set up a thing like this table or a campus pastor's gonna come up and they're, they're gonna set up for a moment because we're not gonna leave this here without a chance for you to respond just like Ernie did that day. It's just a little cup symbolic of what God will do in you and a little cross that's just a reminder, a marker that says the cross of Christ transforms me from the inside out. Because they're setting that up right now across the campuses. What does that prayer look like? We're gonna put it up on the screen. We're gonna read the prayer together, all of us. In fact, I'm gonna ask all across the campuses and online for you to join in reading this prayer with me. And for some of you, this is your prayer. This is your day. Just like Ernie had his, you have yours. So we're going to say the prayer together. Everybody's going to read it aloud. But for some of you, you're going to say yes to that prayer today. This is your day. So let's read it. Here's what it means. Ready? Everybody join with me in reading the prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so much that you died on the cross for me. Today, I know that you are knocking on my heart's door. And I am asking you to come into my life. So I open my heart's door. I ask you to come in and live with me, to forgive my sins, to be my savior and my friend. From this day forward, I'm gonna live with you, love you, and follow you. Thank you for forgiving me of every sin and making me a new person, amen. So here's what we're gonna do. For some of you, this is your day. You are the one. Ernie was the one that day. There are more people than we know across the campuses, even online right now. You might be quite religious. You might have grown up with this stuff, but you've never surrendered and confessed and said yes to Jesus. You think you have a cooperative agreement with him on your terms. It's not how it works. He made a way. He jumped in the river. He rescued you. This might be the first time it ever made sense. This might be the 20th time. But you've not confessed. You've not surrendered. You've not had your spiritual birthday where you say yes to him. It was my cross you bore So I could live in the freedom you died Now my life is yours, and I will sing of your goodness forevermore. Worthy is your name, Jesus. You deserve the praise. Worthy is your name. Worthy is your name. Jesus, 